0: Morning. It's good to see everybody. Appreciate you uh, braving uh, the weather and uh, seeing uh, more people back each week. I Want to again say how much I appreciate uh, again your uh, being leadable. Uh, your compliance with our protocols here. You're wearing a mask. You're wearing it correctly. You've got it up over your nose. Uh, you're wearing it uh, the right way uh, to protect yourself, but also your neighbor. We really, we really appreciate you. Uh, doing that and just pray that as they've uh, lowered the age for people to get vaccines down to 16 uh, that more people be vaccinated positivity rate will go down and then that will sooner or later we pray get us back to a safe place uh, that we can go back to the sanctuary and resume worship there but just be praying uh, that people in our community will do their part we know the Lord's going to do his but thank you for doing your part here socially distancing, wearing your mask correctly And uh, just holding off on hugging and shaking hands. It'll be here before you know it, and you can have a great hug fest outside uh, when that happens. But thanks for being here. Welcome to those that are joining us today uh, by way of internet. We appreciate you uh, tuning in, and just pray that God's perfect will be accomplished in your life, wherever you're listening from today, and for those that are here as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask for His guidance and His leadership over this service and over our lives today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we pray that your precious Holy Spirit uh, would invade this place today with his presence. Father, I pray that you will convict the lost of their sin, their need for Christ. God, those who are backslid today, who are out of fellowship with you, not wholly committed to Christ's lordship, God, they'll see the reality of where they are spiritually today. God, what you have saved us to, not just from, but what you've saved us to, what you die, desire and demand to accomplish in us and through us while we're here upon this earth. And I pray there'll be realities we yield ourselves to you afresh and anew today. God, we just want to pause as a body of believers, as a church family today, with all our hearts say, thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. If it were not for your mercy, God, we'd be bound for hell. If it were not for your grace, your unmerited favor, we would still be lost in our sin. Thank you for what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. And God, I pray that you'll burden our hearts, strip away apathy and indifference, and help us to see a lost and dying world who is drowning in their sin and who is headed to a devil's hell for all eternity. Burden upon us, God. Uh, the, the mandate that you've placed upon us to share what was shared with us, how Christ died, rose again, and if someone will turn from their sin and receive Jesus to be Lord of their life, God, they'll be saved. And help us to share that truth with others, to model it, to live it out, and to disciple others in this day. So now, Father, we pray that as we sing this morning, Father, we won't mindlessly just mouth words, but our hearts will uplift and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for he's worthy of all the praise the honor and the glory bless this time God be pleased with all that's done most of all be glorified it's in Christ's name we ask these things and all God's people said Amen let's
1: Let's all stand it's through his amazing grace that we're here this morning Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now i found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are Set You pray as Phyllis comes and sings for us.
0: Praise the Lord for all the Christ-honoring music this morning and the great spirit uh, that we've already felt. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians this morning, chapter 2. We'll begin to read in verse number 1, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And this morning for a few moments, I want to speak on the subject that's uh, already been sung about all morning, God's grace and God's mercy. God's grace and God's mercy, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin to read this morning verse number 1. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons." "...of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace... Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit would challenge us and speak to us. God, as we pray every single time that we gather together on this church property, that if there's one among us who's never turned and repented of their sin, and by faith, through grace and mercy, been born again to the family of God, saved from their sin, God, I pray that they'll make that decision today. Holy Spirit, convict them, draw them. and God, we pray that they will choose to turn and receive Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Father, challenge your church today. God, I pray that if we're not living out, uh, not uh, submitting ourselves to your lordship as you live through us the life that you've already prepared uh, to live through our bodies and through our lives that bring honor and glory to you. God, I pray this morning we'll pause and we'll resubmit our lives to Christ's lordship. Father, stir the church up again today uh, concerning the mission that you've left us. Remind us that the only hope that this lost and dying world has is not reform or new legislation. God, it's to have a new nature that can only be found through a personal saving relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, through your grace grace and through your mercy. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through it all. We'll give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. In Acts chapter 20, uh, companion uh, to the book of Luke, Luke wrote the book of Acts, which was a record of the early church. In Acts chapter 20, verses 17, verses really 16 through 38, Uh, Paul from Miletus called uh, the elders of the Ephesians church to come to him where he was. And he sought to remind them of how he had once come to them, how he had spent three years there in ministry in the city of Ephesus, which was a morally bankrupt uh, city. It was uh, decaying in immorality and in sin. But the gospel showed up in the mouth and in the heart and life of the Apostle Paul. He began to preach and share the gospel, and many people turned and trusted Christ. And he rehearsed with them. He went over all that the Lord had done through him there. And what he'd begun to do in the midst of those believers and how there were those that began to rise up and try to lead them them away. And Paul was encouraging them, verse number 29 of Acts chapter 20, that even after he would leave from where their meeting was and they began to return to Ephesus again, false teachers would begin to move in who would be like wolves who would try to destroy the church. Paul will go in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 6, to talk about how Satan seeks to work through others and the armament that we have in Jesus Christ. And so Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he reminded them for three years... I was in your midst. You know what kind of person I was? You know what the ministry was? You know what the ministry was about? He tried to remind them how they had passed from death to life and how they had come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And while living in a morally bankrupt community, uh, the Temple of Artemis was there, uh, which worship there uh, was to buy a cult prostitute. Okay? So whose church do you think lost people wanted to go to on Sunday? Down at Artemis? or First Baptist Ephesus. This was, this was the community of which people were, were living in. This was the culture of which they were trying to share Christ. And Paul was reminding them that though they were living in, in, in a morally bankrupt community that was marred by sin, he wanted to encourage them on to faithfulness. Because you see, sometimes in the Christian life when we see all of the sin and all of the apathy and the indifference that's around us, it can lead the church to become apathetic and indifferent. we just to throw our hands up and say, you know, what's the point? And we, just, we began to shirk away from the, the God-given mandate that he has placed upon our lives to be faithful to great commission living. And Paul wanted to encourage them on to faithfulness. And so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to remind them uh, and to remind the church there just how rich they were in Jesus Christ. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesus are just a reminder of all the riches that they had in Christ. Now remember, those that were involved in pagan worship, they were making a killing. I mean, they were making money hand over fist. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look in Acts chapter 19. You'll see that's what part of the uproar was against the gospel. The gospel was putting the, the cult people out of business. And they began to get stirred up. They wanted Paul and they wanted the gospel out of town because they were making a lot of money. And so the Christians, especially because Rome occupied the world at this time, they found it very difficult to survive, very difficult to make money. And so compared, don't miss this, compared to all of the lost world who could care less about the things of God and just had fat bank accounts, had the best of everything, the Christians were tempted to say, Well, how's this working out for me, trusting Jesus Christ? I don't have all the things they've got. I'm I'm, I'm having trouble putting even food on the table for my family. And Paul wrote them a letter to remind them of really how rich they were spiritually. And that's what mattered. And the last three chapters are how to put those riches to work. The last half of the book, it's an instruction manual on how to, how to, how to live for Christ and, and to begin to walk for him. But in chapter number 2 of the book of Ephesians, listen this morning, Paul reminds the church what God saved them from, what God has saved them, how he saved them, what he saved them to, and the glorious day that lies ahead for the church. And listen, it's all because of God's mercy and because of God's grace. Number one, he reminds them of a gripping problem. A gripping problem that they had. Look at your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse number 1. There, 1B, uh, where he says, uh, you, you were dead in trespasses in sin. Verse 2, he says, that's, that's you. When I came to meet you, when I met you first, he says, you were dead in trespasses in sin. Look at verse number 5. Of Ephesians 2 where Paul says even when we were dead in trespasses and, and that's the spiritual state listen that all people are that's how they're born without God separated from him because of sin and again I've shared with you many times and you need to know this as you seek to live on mission every day the hardest people to reach are not just out and out pagans who ever have never heard the name of Jesus Christ the hardest people to reach are unsaved people who had a drug problem for 18 years. They got drugged to church for the first 18 years of their life. Their, their parents were godly people. They were members of a church. And they were always there every time the doors were open. You know, they, they were there. They, but but they, never, they never knew Christ. They knew how to be religious. They knew how to say the right things. They knew the right time to get excited, the right time to sit down. They, they knew everything about the Christian faith, but they didn't know the person whom the Christian faith was all about, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so those people, they're lost in their sin. You need to know this. You seek to witness to people. All people, it doesn't matter what their religious background is, if they've never repented, they've never trusted Christ spiritually, they're dead as a stump. They're, they're spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 7, to a very religious man, Nicodemus, listen to me, who, for, who, who forgot, more of the Old Testament than probably most of us will ever know. He said to this man, John chapter 3, verse 7, he says, you must be born again. And he couldn't understand. He began to think of spiritual terms. like, well, I'm 6'1", I'm uh, about 205. Uh, my mother's short in stature. How can I? How, how am I going to be born again? And Jesus, says, you don't get it. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Why did Nicodemus, who was so religious need a spiritual birth because Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, he was spiritually dead. All people are born into this world spiritually dead. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, the apostle Paul says, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, God told Adam and Eve, there's a tree in the midst of the garden. It's a tree in the midst of the garden. You shall not eat up for the day thou eatest thou of. Thou shalt surely die. That was the penalty for sin. When they willingly ate from the tree of the garden, which was in the midst of the garden, sin was passed on to all mankind. Therefore, just as one man, sinned the world. And thus, death spread to all men because all sinned. And Paul's reminding them of a problem that had gripped their lives and grips the life of all people Who've never been born again. And someone say, Well, you know, what's the big whoopity doo about that? Okay, great. I'm born with a sin nature. So what? I've been born with a lot of things, you know. I've I've got I've got my dad's my dad's jawbone structure. You know, I've got my mother's nose. Okay? I've got I've got light skin, you know, like my dad. I was I was born listen, I've been born with all kinds of problems. What's a sin nature? What's what's the big deal? Well, Paul says it affects every part of your life. It shapes how you live. Look at verse number 2. And once you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once all conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Listen to me. Nature determines performance. We're living in a day in our country you know, where people think performance is going to be changed or is a result of, of, of what's in people's lives. and The reason someone lives or acts or does was well, because they don't have the right things. They don't have the right environment. You know, and if we, we give them a new environment and give them the best of things and, and, and try to just create a level ground uh, for everybody, which we know is socialism and, and never works, that somehow if we just give everybody the right positive environment, give all the positive, take away the negatives, then everybody's going to perform exactly correct. Friend, listen, go back to the book of Genesis. Put your thinking caps on. Has there ever been a place that was more perfect and more right than the Garden of Eden was. No. There was no sin upon the earth whatsoever. As far as the earth is concerned, there's never been a greater place that people could live. But still yet, Adam and Eve chose to sin. Listen to me. The reason that people rob, rape, kill, burn, lie, and embezzle... It's not because they didn't grow up in the right neighborhood or because you know, their teacher put a dunce cap on their head and made them sit in the corner or any other of the reasons that we're trying to label on people. They, the reason that people live and do the way they do contrary to the Word of God is because they have the nature of a lost person. That's why. And so, listen, nature determines performance. Listen, if, you, if, if a sheep, falls into a mud hole it's going to do all that it can to get out of the mud hole because it's not the nature of a sheep to want to be in a mud hole it wants to be clean it wants still water it wants green grass why because that's its nature don't you listen to me you take a hog and you give it the finest and the greatest barn that the government can build you go and study how to give it the finest feed that a hog has ever had, the cleanest showers, daily pedicures to clean its little hooves and to clean its curly little tail, and every... But friend, listen to me. Just this, but that hog's going to be miserable. It's not going to live in that environment. Because within its nature, it wants to be in the mud hole, it wants to rejoice in the mud hole, and it wants to waller in the mud hole because that's its nature. And people say, well, well, I just don't understand why these lost people act the way these lost people are, are living and why they talk the way they're talking the way they do. Friend, listen, they do that because they're lost. They've never been born again. You cannot legislate morality, it won't happen. The only thing that will change the performance of a man and a woman is to have a new heart that can only come through God's grace and through God's mercy. That's the problem that grips all mankind. It's that they're born with a sin nature. And Paul was trying to remind them of that. That as they moved about through Ephesus and they saw their neighbors lining up at the door to the temple of Artemis, And they saw them worshiping pagan gods and living lives of broke. Paul says, don't don't look down your self-righteous nose at these people and say, well, I'm just so much better than you. Don't you forget that that's also the way you once were in that line. That's the way you once thought. Paul says, that's the way I lived. Because my life, too, was gripped by lostness. It was gripped by a dead sin nature. I needed Jesus Christ. Paul says it's not just an Ephesus. He says, it's all people. Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned. And see, we've, we've labeled sin. You know, I mean, I would dare say this because this is just a Baptist church. If I started preaching about homosexuality this morning, I mean, boy, people say, amen. Bro, that's, that's wrong. and That's a sin. Well, what about your grandson or your granddaughter that's shacked up out of the immorality? It's shacked up out of wedlock. That's just as sinful as the homosexual. Sin is Sin. But we've labeled what's right and wrong in America. Well, they're they good. They're really bad. Well, friend, listen, God sees two kinds of people saved people and lost people. And Paul's trying to remind them of a gripping problem. And so don't get caught up in all the headlines. And don't get caught up in thinking, friend, that another party can make America better. Friend, the only thing that can change America is not a political party, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's for people to have a new heart, a new life spiritually that can only come through God's grace and through God's mercy. Verse 3, Paul says, you you were children of wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and and verse number 9, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and says, God did not appoint us, that's, that's mankind to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not God's will that anybody should go to hell. He wants all people to be saved. Romans chapter 9 and verse number 22, the Bible speaks of vessels of God's wrath who've been prepared. But the verb is middle voice. It means they prepared themselves. That is, any person who will not receive Jesus Christ, friend, they fit themselves for God's wrath. They choose not to receive Christ. They make themselves the object of God's wrath. They make themselves. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, Because of this, all mankind is without excuse. They stand before God. And listen, we're living in America, the land of the fiend. Did you know this? Whatever problem you've got, just blame it on somebody else. It's not my fault. Water wasn't right. You know, didn't have enough vitamins in my water. It's it's something. But friend, listen. When it comes to sin, look no further than the end of your nose. It's you. We're living in a day, friend. The gospel's more prevalent and more readily available than it's ever been. In any time in church history, it's available. So people, if they die and go to hell, friend, it's it's no one's fault but their own. The church is responsible to share. The church is responsible to give. And if you won't share, you'll have love on your hands. But friend, the Bible says all people are born with a sin nature. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, it's the great white throne. All those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast. You say, well, again, what's the big deal? I've got a sin nature. The big deal, my friend, look at me and listen to me online. The big deal is a place called hell. And it's not going to be like spring break at Daytona. It's not what society and movies have made it into, that you're just going to be there with all your buddies with one big kegger for the rest of life. The Bible says it's a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm doth not. Luke 16 says it's a place where a rich man who had the best of everything, now he finds himself there without Jesus Christ, and he won't be there anymore. And you're not going to want to be there. That's the penalty for sin. It's because of a gripping problem. Paul says we're born without Christ. We're born spiritually dead. But thanks be to God, number two, for a gracious pardon. There's a gripping problem, but there's, there's, a, gracious, there's a gracious pardon. You know, what's, what's, what's all this about? All this is about, friend, that we're approaching a week where people who wouldn't know God if they met Him in the road. You mark my words those of you that have social media, this Friday there'll be people who have posted things for the past 364 days. You wouldn't know that they knew God from anybody else, but they're going to put on there, listen, this Friday, mark my words, Sunday's a-coming. Sunday's a-coming. Because that's, that's the cultural thing. And they do they not they have a clue, personally, what Easter's really all about because they've never experienced it before. Their lives are gripped by the problem that they've still got a sin nature and they've never experienced what Easter is all about. And it is a gracious pardon that can only be found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Paul says, this was your nature. This is how I found you. Paul says, this is who I was, pre-Acts chapter 9. When I was on the road to Damascus, Paul says, this is who I was. This is how I lived. Verse 4, but God. There's a problem, Paul says, I couldn't change, you couldn't change, but God. But God showed up, God God had a plan. Genesis chapter 3, and listen, friend, the cross wasn't a punt. You know, a lot of people try to, to, when they share the gospel and preach the gospel, we look at the New Testament, make it look like somehow, you know, Jesus just got... He just got thwarted that everything was going just perfect with Jesus and the disciples, and they had this meal, and, and Judas, he just goes rogue. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus, he's just, over, he's just overwhelmed, you know, brought into captivity, and, and all of a sudden, man, they, they're holding him down. They're holding him down and nailing him to the cross. Friend, listen, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says it, this was a plan that God had. From the very very beginning. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 decrees that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That means before Genesis 1-1 was an actual reality, before God ever said let there be. In his mind, he knew his son was going to die for you and for me. But God, God had a plan and listen to me friend, he still does today. And so as we watch the news, we see all of the chaos, all of the insanity that's all around us. I am so thankful that verse number 4 we can say, but God, but God, God has a plan. Verse number 4, but, but God, who is rich in mercy, not poor, rich, abounding, over, overrunning, overflowing with mercy, listen, Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Don't ever, don't ever get to the place and say, well, I just, man, I want what's due me. You might find yourself in hell. Because that's what, that's what every single one of us deserve is an eternity in a place called hell. But God, who is rich in mercy, he offered us the opportunity to escape what we all deserve? Why? Because of the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall surely die. As for the tree retrieved knowledge of good and evil. It's garden that shall not only die after the day that we shall. Thou shalt surely die. That's the penalty for sin. But God, in His mercy, offers us an opportunity to be saved. Romans, chapter ten, verses twelve and thirteen. The Apostle Paul says, "For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek." For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's mercy. That's mercy. What we deserve is hell because we're guilty. Born with a sin nature, we've committed sin, but the Bible says that that God is rich to all who call upon him. He's rich in mercy. He desires to pardon all People. And I want you to listen to me. If you're not careful, you'll get so bitter about politicians, neighbors, co-workers, bosses, your neighbor who lets their dog come over and do things in your grass that you don't like and have to go pick up all... Whatever it is that turns you sideways against somebody. You'll think that Jesus died for everybody, but then, friend, listen, God wants everybody to be That guy that went on that killing spree in Colorado, Jesus died that he might be saved. Jesus died that Osama bin Laden might be saved. Jesus died that the pedophile might be saved. He died that all people might be saved. That's his desire. That's his heart. 1 Timothy 2, 4, that all men... And again, friend, I will speak about it every time the text bears down. There is a doctrine... That is overwhelming churches like Kudzu does banks in the south. And it's the doctrine of Calvinism. And it is a doctrine that says Jesus, God predetermined who would be saved and who would not be saved. And those that are going to be saved, they've got no choice. And those that he predetermined would not be saved, they've not got any choice. Friend, friend, that that is a lie from the pits of hell. I'm telling you. You say, well, you know, they just believe a little different. Friend, that's not a little different. That's a whole different. Christ died. When Jesus died on the cross, friend, he wasn't just thinking about those who had been predestined. He died that everybody might be saved. Because he's rich in mercy. And he's rich in grace. God desires all people to be saved. Why? How could God love somebody as filthy and disgusting as I was. And still am. And don't you look self-righteous. So were and so still are. That daily we must come before Him, just like the priests had to go to the laver. Though they were once cleansed and prepared for service and anointed with the Spirit, daily they had to wash in the laver. And so you and I must wash ourselves in the Word and prayer and be cleansed or we're separated from God. Why, why would God... Send His Son to die for us. Why would He extend mercy to us? Look at verse number 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And friend, that's one of the greatest verses, but it's one of the easiest verses for you to use to lead someone to Christ. Have them personalize that. And then say, for God so loved Chad. For God so loved Sam. For God so loved Wayne. For God so loved Coleman. For God so loved, and have them say that. God so loved you, the person you're talking to. And if you're listening this morning by way of internet, you've never been saved. I want you to know it doesn't matter what's happened in your life, how far you've sunk in the immorality's barrel. God loves you. He loves you, and he said, "He, he say well, well, I just don't feel it. I don't see it.' Well, Romans chapter five verse eight tells how, but God demonstrated. He just didn't say it. God demonstrated His love while we were still lost in our sin. Friend, listen. I had to, I purchased a dehumidifier for my basement the other day, and uh, went by and picked it up. I had those big nylon straps on it, and uh, when I when I cut the nylon straps when I got home. The top was cracked. The sides were burst open. I was like, I can't use this, you know. And so I thought, it's it's not perfect. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so I took it back and exchanged it for one that was absolutely perfect, exactly the way the engineers had designed it. Friend, listen. When Jesus took you as His own, you were completely broken. In the old countries, you were busted. There wasn't a thing about you that worked. Again, friends, verse 1, verse 5, you were dead. You were absolutely dead. Can you imagine going down to the pet store and saying, I'd like to buy a puppy? You say, well, what kind do you want? Well, I want one that's dead. Do what? No, I want a dead one. Well, no, that one's got too much life. That one's tail moves too much. Well, that one's just too cute. No, I want the ugliest one you've got and I want to be dead. Friendless, that's how we were when Christ took us. Our lives were marred by sin. We were spiritual roadkill and we were dead. But he took us and he loved us. He demonstrated his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, what happened? Look at verse one. And you he made alive. When you repented of your sin. When you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, John 3 seven, you were born again. He, he made you spiritually. What had been lost in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned physically, they began to die, but spiritually they died immediately. They were dead. What, what, what the newness and the fellowship that they'd had with, once with God, it was gone. It was gone. And Paul says, when, when you repent, when you responded to the gospel that day that I came to Ephesus, and I told you how Christ died for you, how he loved for you, and if you would repent, Luke 13, 3, to turn from all sin and turn from yourself, and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. He says, when you did that, you were made alive. You, you, you became alive. Look at verse number 5. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. Good Friday, Jesus died. But thanks be to God on Sunday morning, he rose alive victoriously from the grave. My friend, when you trust Jesus Christ, you've been raised with Christ. The same spiritual life that raised Jesus from the dead raises you from the dead. Now you've got a new spirit, and now you've got a new nature. There's going to be difference. And there, the Bible says in verse number 6, that we've been raised up together with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says this. Paul says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Paul says, that I've experienced that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, This is what I shared with you. The same message that I heard—it's the gospel, it's the good news—that though a man is dead and trespasses to sin, that though the penalty is the separation from God in a place called hell, if one will repent and trust Christ, then have a brand new life, a brand new start, with a brand new heart. He said, and "That's what—that's what you receive because Jesus Christ was our sin substitute. That's why Christ died on the cross because of the wages of sin." is death. When Wednesday night was shared for, for just a little bit, you know, I'm sure most, and there's nothing wrong with it, I'm sure most everyone here has a cross in there. Some of you may have a cross necklace on this morning, or a cross earring. You've got a cross on the Bible cover. You've got crosses in your house. friend. I want to remind you, that cross is just a cross. And that the cross didn't make Jesus Christ special. Jesus Christ made that cross special. There were two others on the hill that day. All the others were just ordinary. Two guilty thieves died on one. One died and went to hell. One went into eternity with Jesus Christ because of his faith. But it was the cross in the middle that was special because of who was hanging on it. And because of what he did, he took my place. He took your place. He took the place of all people But they have to choose to receive that pardon, to respond to his mercy, but also, look at verse number 5, to respond to his grace. The Bible says in verse number 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, that means completely lost in our sin, no no spiritual life whatsoever, when we repented, when we trusted Christ, we were made alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Look at verse number eight. For by grace you've been saved. That's his unmerited favor. That means there's nothing you can do to earn your forgiveness. It, it's, it's, all of, it's all of Christ, it's, it's a gift that you simply receive. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy's not getting what we do deserve. We deserve hell. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's forgiveness and that's spiritual life. That's grace. God's mercy. God's grace. We've been saved. Continue to look at verse number eight. For by grace you have been saved. Saved from what? You know, we, we just we just we get so used to saying, Lord, you saved, No, I've been saved, you saved, I'm saved. When'd you get saved? I got saved. You know, I'm not mine. We used to hear it all. Y'all have heard it. You know, people stand up, well, you know anybody got a, anybody got a word? Well, I just want to stand up and say, I love the Lord. Amen. Amen. I love the Lord. I want, I got saved, you know. 52 years ago, 11 months, 3 weeks, 4 days, 9 hours, 32 minutes and 7 seconds ago, I got saved. Amen! I got saved. That's that's great. But friend, we need to be mindful about what it really means. What you got saved from and to. Saved from hell... And saved to Christ a life of surrender and eternity with Him in a place called hell. We've been, we, in heaven, we've been saved from the penalty of sin. And how did it happen? Verse number eight For by grace have you been saved through faith. You ever say, Well, I've got, I've got faith. I've got faith. I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I'm a person of faith. Well, you know, you, you hear that so much in the news, especially you hear it from politicians. You, man of faith, woman of faith. Well, I'm a man of faith. But what's the substance of that faith? And, and what is that faith based on and in? Back to 4 for the just. Those who have been justified shall walk by faith. We're saved by faith. It, it's faith in what Christ has done and it's, it's faith in His Word. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For, for, for when, we, when we hear the Word of God, we're saved by grace through faith in, in the message of the gospel. It begins with repentance, Luke thirteen three, But then Romans 10, 9, and 10. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. That's faith. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And he continues on in verse number 8, that this salvation you have by grace, through faith, it's not of yourselves. Why don't you look up here at me? You need to be able to share that and articulate that with people, especially here in the South. Because people say, well, I'm a good person. I'm as good as the next guy. Well, the next guy and the next gal, that's not God's standard of perfection. God's standard of perfection is Jesus Christ. Put your goodness up against him and see where you stand. And you'll see that we all fall short. That's why he says, you know, the salvation that we experienced, he wanted to remind them, you know, it's through God's grace and God's mercy. It, it's, not, it's nothing that you've done. It's simply something that you received. And friend, I don't care how much work you do for the Lord, how much good you do, how many coats you put on cold children, how, how, many, how many beds you put under people that are sleeping on the floors, how many cans of goods you deliver to people that are starving, it'll never be enough to pay for your sin. It'll never be enough. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6 says this. Uh, again, the, the, the prophet Isaiah trying to remind the group of people that were so full of self-righteousness, he says, but, but we're all an unclean thing. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. And, and I don't want you, to, you know, to get queasy before lunch, but the wording that he used in filthy rags, he, he was referring to the pus-filled rags that covered a leper's body. He said, that's how God sees. You. I want you to think in your mind for a second. Think about the best day that you've had spiritually. Right? Don't you Try to remember just some day. I mean, when, when you called somebody, you witnessed to somebody, you had a great quiet time. Just every, you, were just, you were at the top of your game. That did everything. The Bible says all of that apart from Christ, God looks at that like a pile of dirty rags that are full of infection. That's how God sees you. Friend, listen, if God sees any good in you whatsoever, it's only what he sees in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's there. And it's because of grace and mercy that we've been able to experience that gracious pardon. Well, how do I receive that righteousness? Romans chapter 4 and verse 11 says, it's imputed. It's laid to our account. When you were, heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicted you of your lostness, drew you to salvation, you chose to turn and by faith, trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. At that very moment, friend, God wrote a check with the blood of His Son, His righteousness, and deposited it to your life. We would get calls from time to time from the cafeteria and they at the school, and they'd call and say, "Hey, your, your, your son, your daughter's overdrawn. I mean, we didn't know. It, it wasn't on purpose. They, they needed some lunch money put in their account. Well, my kids, you know, my kids don't know what the word allowance means, all right? And so what they have, it's what we provide. And so we wrote a check, you know, and we sent it to school and we deposited money that they don't have and couldn't have to their account so they could draw on. Friend, listen, I understood need of righteousness and so did you And in faith we responded to the gospel. We heard that Christ died for our sins. We turned from our sin, and by faith we trusted Jesus to be Lord of our life. And we stood in need of righteousness. We had none to offer. The book of Isaiah says ours is is filthy before God. But because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, because of the blood that he shed, the death that he died, the life that he now has, God has imputed to our life the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't see the no account that we used to be when we were dead in trespasses and sin. He only sees who we are now in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for that. He doesn't see the old man. He sees who we are now. How is it? It's a gracious pardon because of his grace and mercy. Paul goes on to say in verse 8 that it's a gift. It's a gift. Listen, if someone... Can you imagine on your birthday... If someone comes up to you and says, hey, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Here's your gift. That would be $19.95. And you kind of look at them like they're crazy. No, I'm serious. This is your gift. $19.95. That's just what it was with the tax. So that's not a gift. Friend, listen. If you could earn your salvation, it wouldn't be a gift. God offers you a gift that he paid with the body of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's a gracious pardon. Number three, notice, a glorifying purpose. Paul goes on to encourage them and challenge them. Verse number 10, the salvation that we have, the life that we now have. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. He says, it's God who saved us. We responded to the call of the Holy Spirit. We received the new life that he offers. But the life we have, it's accomplished by the Holy Spirit the power of God, who you become in Christ, as a man and as a woman, who you grow into, that person. It's, it's a work of Christ. Romans eight we're to be conformed in the image of... Listen, you say, I just want to know what God's plan is for my life. You ready? To look less like you and more like Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a lot of specific things that he wants to do, but that's, that's God's major plan for you, to look less like you and more like Jesus. He says, we are his workmanship. It, it's, and again, it's, it's a gift that we receive, but God does it all. Continue to look at verse number 10, Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's who our head is. That's the head of the body. We're all members of that body. Now look at me. We think of members, you know, I'm a member of Deer Club, and I'm a member of this club, and I'm a member of this. No, we're body parts, in the body of Christ Christ is the head and we have a place in the body where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus here it is for good works God wants to live a life through you and here's something that's amazing to me friend in spite of you in spite of all your hiccups hang ups insecurities all the can'ts and all the excuses God wants to do something in you and through you in spite of who you used to be and in spite of who you still are. Listen, you're always going to deal with the old man and the old woman. It's always going to be there. But there's victory through Jesus Christ every day. You don't have to be held captive by who you used to be and the flesh nature that's still in you. Paul says to the church at Philippi, Philippians 4, I can do... Through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I just can't. I've got the gene. And my mama was that way. Baloney. You live that way. You think that way. You speak that way. You are that way because you want to be. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, because God has a plan for my life and for your life. It's, number, it's a glorifying purpose. Look at verse 10, where His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God wants to do something through you and listen, and you've got to push away from all that you hear on the radio. And the other churches are preaching and teaching because that's what brings everybody inside. Get saved and then just live the life that you want. Whatever's convenient for you. It's not about convenience. It's about surrender. The life that Christ demands is Luke 9, 23, that we die to self and bring our life captive, the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will accept nothing else. If he's not Lord of everything, he's Lord of nothing. He said, look look at verse number 10. Paul says, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That means there's things that God wants to do through us. We begin to know what that is through discipleship, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We're to go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So that begins with your study of the word. Those four words again, no, stow, show, and so. You have to know God's word. You have to stow it in your heart. We're to obey the Word of God showing it. And then we're to sow the Word of God as we live on mission. That's part of the good works that He saved us for. A glorifying purpose. Not just to be hearers, James 1.22, but to be doers. To be doers. Not just ameners, but, but doers. First Peter 1.16, Jesus said, Be holy, for I am holy. And I, I, Listen, I've been saying it for five years that I've been your pastor. If the church... We're more afraid of sin than it is of holiness. What a different world we'd be living in. You begin to listen. You begin to talk about holiness. A life that looks like Christ alone. And the word that's going to pop up, you're going to hear it. Starts with an L. God is You're going to hear what? That's legalism right there, brother. Church of Bear Greenwood, man. a Bunch of legalistic people. No, friend. We're being true to the word. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. He said, that's, what, that's the glorifying purpose I saved you for. We are His workmanship. That means my life, the moment I trusted Christ, I gave the title deed of my life to Christ. You say, well, I didn't do that. Then you need to be saved. The Bible doesn't say, you know, you're saved by trusting Jesus to be your Savior. Whosoever calls upon the name of the, the Lord. So Christ did not Lord of my life. I've never, he's never been Lord of my life. You better get saved, friend. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. He's prepared. That means, friend, listen, should walk. It's, it's not optional. We're, we're living in a day, you know, just an a la carte Christian. Well, now, I'll have a little of that, and I'll have a little of that. Well, you know, I've got these, 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 these things. If I've got any time left, I'll make room for the church. I'll make room for Christ. No, sir, no, man. That may be how you choose to live, but you'll answer to God for it at the judgment seat of Christ. God has prepared a life for you that He wants to live through you and in spite of you, and it is not optional. You were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. You belong to Him. I hear people say, you know, well, my church and our church, friend, this church and ours, we're the stewards of it. It's His. He bought it with His blood. My family's not mine. They're his. I'm a steward of them. My children are not mine. Well, I've just got plans for my children. I, don't, I have no plans for my kids other than they know Christ and allow him to live the life that he desires through them. Because that's the glorifying purpose. That the life that we live will, will glorify Christ. And friend, I'm convinced after years of ministry, the reason so many Christians become disillusioned and turn away from serving God and turn away from the church is they're not living in the will of God that he purposed and designed to live through them. I'm telling you, listen, the most miserable, ornery, just hard-to-be-around people you'll ever meet are Christians that are out of the will of God. Just miserable, just old, grouchy, hateful people. Because they've got areas of their life that they will not surrender to Christ. I'm not gonna, and I can't give, and I won't give. And they're they're gonna be, because why? Because sin separates them from God, Isaiah 59 2. They're miserable. And that's why David said in Psalm 51, 12, listen. Out of fellowship with God, he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Friend, when you get right with God, you're gonna have joy in your life. And can I just say again, listen, your face is going to show it. I'm not saying you're going to be walking around with these plastic mule-eating briar smiles all the time. But you, you folks know who I'm talking about. They're, they're people. They're just, they look like they were born on the dark side. Like their mother-in-law was moved in with them. I mean, they are just miserable looking. No joy. It's because they're out of fellowship with God. They're not allowing God to live through them the life that he saved. To live through them and purposes to live through them in any talk you tried to have with that person, well, now, brother Chad, that's just legalistic. No, friend, that is biblical. That's biblical, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. And it's because, friend, well, we say, so what's the glorifying purpose? Our life of surrender. And Christ living the life He wants to live through us, it glorifies Christ. Listen to Jesus' own words. Write this verse down, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men. That is, let the Holy Spirit shine through you and surrender in obedience to my word that a lost and dying world may see your good works and then those works will glorify your Father in heaven. How many of you have been saved? Raise your hand, and say amen. How many of you are thankful Jesus saved you? How many of you want to show, you say, I just, man, I wish there was something I could do. Just wish there's something I could do. To, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll have a, God forbid, the death in the family, or you'll get sick. Somebody will bring some soup over or casserole or give you a gift card, and you'll say, you know, I just wish there's some way I could show that person how thankful I am for how good they were to us. I want to write a little thank you card. I want to do more than a thank you card. May, may I pay it forward and do something for me? I just want, I just want to show them. How thankful I am for how good they were to me. You ever been there before? Just, you just wanted to show somebody? Do you feel that way? You're just like, I wish I could show Jesus how thankful I really am. Philippians 2, that he set aside all the glory that was his in heaven, came to this sin-cursed earth, was despised and rejected, scourged, like he was a rented mule, nailed to an old rugged cross, spit upon and mocked, died, had all my sin and your sin cast upon him, went to the deepest, smuttiest parts of hell, brought back the keys to death, hell, and the grave, under my arm, under his arm, the penalty for my sin and yours. Ascended to heaven, and there with nail-pierced hands is just praying for us even right now, interceding. See, I just want to show him that I'm thankful for what he's done for me. Then live a life of surrender to Jesus Christ. Give him a blank calendar and say, you fill it in. Lay your life at his feet and say, I'm not sure what all the good works are that you want to do through. I'm not sure all these things, but God, email. no more excuses. A fresh and new. I'm going to give my life to you and you live the life you want through me, through my family, through my retirement, through my finances, through my abilities, through my spiritual gifts, through our church. And that's how I'm going to show you I'm thankful. A glorifying purpose. Number four, notice this, Paul reminded them also, of a great promise, a great promise. Now, Acts chapter 19 begins to lay out some of the hardship that Paul faced when he was there in Ephesus, the, the, the stirring up of the lost people. I mean, they really got after him, and it was still going on. It was a hard day in which to live. I mean, the gospel was putting the pagans out of business, but they, they were facing you know, not only spiritual adversity, but they, they faced physical and economic hardship as well. These elders that Paul asked to come meet him in Acts chapter 20, they represented a church that was facing a lot of hardship. It was a listen, it was don't miss this. It was a difficult day to live for the Lord. They weren't in the majority, they were the minority. Anybody ever feel like that? Because, friend, we are. If you seek to live for Christ and Him alone in America, but someone, you know, a president said a few years ago, America's no longer a Christian country, and people just come out the wood. Well, I can't believe he said that. What he said is true. We're not a Christian country anymore because the church has failed to live out the Great Commission. And so it's a hard day to live for Jesus Christ. But I want to remind, share with you some good news that Paul shared with them. Look at verse number 6. Paul says, when we got saved positionally, he has raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ." Jesus. Paul says, you're still going to have to live in Ephesus, which is a hard place, physically. He says, but I want you to know positionally, you're already in heaven. You're already in heaven. You ever gone to a restaurant before and you were going to meet some people and they weren't there yet and you know, you walk in and let's just say there's, you've got, there's four people in your family and you walk up and they say, well, how many? And you say, well, there's 12. And the host just goes, two, three, four, five, well, they're not here yet, but they're coming. They're not here yet, but they're coming. And so they go get a table. when You sit down and, and you begin to eat and you begin you know, to eat free bread and you know, you're just sitting there enjoying. You're looking over the menu and you're looking around. You know, either you're looking to see somebody you know or you're hoping you don't see somebody you know. One of the two. And so you're waiting. But they've got a place that's saved. Don't you listen to me. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord, Jesus said he went away to prepare a place for you that where he is, there you may be also, friend, I'm telling you, some of you today, you've got friends and loved ones that are already at the feet of Jesus, but I've got good news. There's a space right there by I'm waiting for you. That's so what Paul's trying to remind me. He says, I know it's a difficult day in which you're living. He says, but I want to give you a great promise. He says, you know, physically you're here, he says, but positionally you're already there. He says, because that's where your final resting place is. Is going to be. It's going to be with Jesus Christ. Look at verse number seven. He says that in the ages to come, that in eternity, He Jesus might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it's not an easy day in which to live. If you love the Lord and you love His Word, it near makes you want to throw up when you watch the news and you listen to the things that are coming out of people's mouths. When you see all that's going on, it's a hard day. In ministry, I mean, trying to stir people up not to be apathetic and indifferent toward the things of God, and you're just having to beg them to come to church and beg them to serve. Now, listen, friend, it'll slap where you up, Friend, listen, I've got good news. that Physically, we're here right now, But positionally, there's a better day that's coming. One of these days Jesus Christ is going to come again. To, to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and verses 13 through 18, Paul said, listen, there's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to turn the stars into a staircase. He's going to split the eastern sky. And all of those who have died in Jesus Christ, their souls have been with him. They're going to be reunited immediately with their bodies. Their bodies are going to be made brand new. Doesn't mean how they decayed, whether they were cremated, buried, blew up, went up. Doesn't matter. They're going to have a Brand new resurrection body, just like Jesus Christ came out of the tomb with. And then the Bible promises we who are alive and remain, we're going to be called up together with the Lord, and with the Lord we're ever going to be. That's a great promise. But it's only through His mercy and His grace that we're able to experience that. You can't join enough churches to experience it. You can't be baptized enough to experience it. You can't be Baptist enough. It doesn't matter how good or great of a deacon daddy was, how wonderful you know Sunday school teacher mommy was. None of those things matter. What matters is what you personally do with Jesus Christ. You have to turn. You have to receive. And you have to experience life that can only be found through Jesus Christ, through His grace and His Mercy and friend, that is what Easter is really all about. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Paul came and preached the gospel, the good news. Many people in that community got saved, but when he gathered together, he reminded them how lost they were. You see, I know I'm saved, friend. I don't want to bring back the sin. But don't, have you gotten over how lost you really were? Has the fact that you've passed from death to life just kind of a meh, you know? Or is it still real to you? Are you still moved in your heart because of the grace and mercy that God extended to you? If you've gotten over it, won't you just ask the Lord to forgive you? And fresh and anew today, love him, again, with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. But you may be here today and you say, you know, I never have responded. And to be honest, if if I died today, I would experience the penalty of sin. I'd spend eternity in a place called hell because I've never really been saved. Friend, I've got good news, just like Paul shared with them. Through God's grace and God's mercy, he'll save you today. If you'll choose to turn from all the sin that's in your life and by faith, trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, believing that he took your place and that he rose again, and you want him to come live in your heart and be Lord of you. In the verse we read, two verses, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, just tell God so right now. Silently where you sit, just mean it with all your heart. Tell God that you want to receive his gift of salvation, his forgiveness. And by His grace and mercy, spiritually be born again. Pray just like this. Oh God, forgive me of my sin. With all my heart, I believe Christ died for me. And I trust Him today to come be Lord over all my life. I lay my my life down at Your feet. Forgive me of my sin. Take my life. Do with it whatever You will. I want to be saved from my sin. I want you to be Lord of my life. Did you pray that prayer this morning? Did you mean it? If you're here, in just a moment when Peggy begins to sing, Wayne Griffin's going to be standing over here at the edge of the door. He'll pray with you. He'll talk with you about that decision you've made today. So you need to be bold and stand up. You need to walk over there so he can talk to you about that decision. If you're listening online and you prayed you've trusted Christ today, you need to call us at the office, write us, email us so we can come alongside you and encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. Have you gotten over just how much grace and how much mercy God extended to you? Do you want to thank Him? Do you really want to show Him? You say, I, just, I really want to show God how thankful I am. And friend, no matter what yesterday or last week or last year has been like, start right now. Lay your life at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and say God from here out take me, use me I want you to fulfill all through me the good works that you've prepared and all that you desire maybe tell him so just like this well God thank you for your grace and mercy thank you for the day someone told me how to be saved thank you for that feeling that I once felt but God I've taken the reins back over in my life I've got to be honest you've convicted me of it I don't read my Bible the way I once did. I don't attend church the way I once did. I don't have a burden for lostness the way I once did. God, forgive me. But Lord, from this day forward, it's different. I lay my life again, afresh and anew at the feet of Jesus Christ. You gave your life for me. I give my life to you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, speak to us today, challenge us. God, there are those who are grieving because of loss in their family today. Those who are hurting, their hearts are broken because of all the immorality and the sin that seems to prevail. Oh, God, encourage your church today of the great promise we have that one day, Lord, we're going to shell out of this place. And with you, we're ever going to be. And You're going to set all things right. But until then, might you find us faithful and surrender to your lordship. God be Lord of this invitation. Whatever you call men and women to do now, might it be accomplished as we yield ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Not one single person's looking around. If you need to make a decision, this is the time to respond. You come right now, she said.